You're listening to TIP. Yeah, these are the greatest hits stories that people will tell themselves to say that they can't get their financial life together. I don't have enough money to start. I'm bad with numbers or I'm bad with math or I'm too old. Those are like the three greatest hits usually. And you don't need a lot of money to start. You just need the most time possible. And are you too old? I don't know. Like you're never as young as you are today. So today is the best day ever to start because you'll never be younger than you are right this moment. In this episode, I chat with Nicole Lappin about Nicole's background in finance and how she got to where she is today on her own. Why finances seem daunting to some people and what we can do about it. The simple things you need to know to start investing today. The reason starting now is so important. How AI is helping to improve investing for everybody and much, much more. Nicole Lappin is the author of five books on personal finance and is the founder of the Money News Network. She hosts the Money Rehab with Nicole Lappin daily podcasts. Nicole was also an anchor for CNN and CNBC. Now she spends most of her time helping educate people to improve their financial situation. Nicole has done a great job of sharing her own experience from being broke and in major credit card debt to being financially independent. What I like most about her is her ability to simplify complicated financial concepts into easily digestible tidbits that anybody can understand. If you've been on the sidelines about your finances, then I'd highly recommend checking out this interview as she has some very simple and practical tips to help get you started. Now, without further delay, let's get right into this week's episode with Nicole Lappin. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard, Patrick Donnelly, and Kyle Grieve, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Grieve, and today we bring Nicole Lappin onto the show. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Kyle. Nicole, you've written a ton of books. Your most recent one, Miss Independent, did a wonderful job at helping readers take control of their own financial health. What has inspired you to make it your mission to simplify financial concepts for people willing to learn? Well, thank you for that. My mission started because I knew nothing about finance or personal finance. We don't learn this stuff in school. I grew up in an immigrant family, so I didn't talk about any advanced money concepts, much less like basic money concepts, mortgages, credit cards, all that. Like I didn't even learn that until after college. And I went to a fancy college and took economics classes and stuff like that. But I never learned any of the practical stuff that you actually need to have to be an adult and have your financial life in order. So I wanted to make it my mission to teach my former self, this girl who was super clueless, who was smiling and nodding and not joining basic money conversations. But she was smart and she had figured out harder things in life. And you know, it wasn't her fault that she didn't learn about money. But now that I know about money, it became my mission to make sure that other people didn't make the same mistakes I did. So as you pointed out in prior interviews, most people don't learn financial literacy in school, like you just said, whether that's elementary school, high school, post-secondary, and very few people have the luxury of having parents who can pass down financial wisdom to their children. Why do you think it's so difficult for people to try and learn financial literacy on their own? 
I think it's just something we don't talk about. I think it's really taboo. It's probably our last taboo, Kyle, that we still have. Like, we'll talk about just about anything before we talk about money. I'll be out to dinner with my girlfriends and, you know, we'll talk about all the dating and all the everything. And then I'll ask them, you know, what's in their banking account or what they're making this year. And it's not because I want to shame them. I certainly don't. I want to help them. But it becomes crickets, you know? And I'm like, wait a minute. We just talked about something super personal. And now this is crickets? Like what's in your savings account is crickets or what you're investing or not investing is crickets. And it shouldn't be that way because I think if we open up this dialogue, we get over this intimidation factor that all of financial news and information is just full of a bunch of jargon. It is a bunch of jargon. But once you can speak that language, you can join the conversation. It's like any language, really. Like if you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you'll be really confused. You go to Wall Street and you don't speak the language of money, you'll be really confused until you speak it. And then you're like, duh, that was obvious. You just don't remember it because now you know it. You didn't remember the time when you thought, it was jargon and crazy and you were clueless. And so it's really about just joining that conversation. I think the jargon is the thing that keeps people out of the conversation the most. So let's say I haven't saved a dime in my life and I have no idea what I want to do with uh, any money that I begin to save. What would you say is the most important point you'd make to someone in my position that would just blow my mind about saving money and trying to compound it? Yeah, I think compound interest is a great wow factor, right? Compound interest is this amazing force. And so often it's been used against us in the financial system. So we're used to it with credit cards and, you know, mortgages and and whatever, where we're taking on debt, but it can be used in our favor when we invest. And so that same force that makes your credit card snowball out of control and become bananas in no time, that same force can be used in your favor if you're investing money. If you're putting money away, then you can take advantage of that amazing force. So I think like, you know, one example could be if you put a hundred bucks a month away, starting at 25, by the time you retire, you have a million dollars because of compound interest. But if you just started 10 years later, and that's 100 times 12 times 10, so 12 grand, like it's still a good amount of money, but it's nowhere near the amount that you would lose because you waited 10 years. So if you waited 10 years and you were 35 and you put 100 bucks a month in an S&P 500 index fund, which we can talk about, like just basically something that tracks the market, then you'd have 300 grand by the time you retire. Like 300 grand is a lot of money, but it's not the million dollars that you could have gotten if you put 12 grand in over that last decade. Yeah. So that's this beautiful, amazing, wonderful, brilliant force of compound interest that you can use in your favor and literally just make your money work for you while you're sleeping, while you're doing nothing. You work so hard for your money. I think it's time it returned the favor. Absolutely. I agree. So before we get into index funds, I have one other question. So I really enjoyed some of your points on some of the stories that you discussed that people give themselves who are trying to rehab their finances and, you know, make these stories up as a reason to, you know, not take care of them, whether that's, I don't have enough money or I'm not a math person, et cetera. Why do you think people tell themselves these stories in the first place? And how can they reframe these stories to help them improve and save? 
Yeah, these are the greatest hits stories that people will tell themselves to say that they can't get their financial life together. I don't have enough money to start. I'm bad with numbers or I'm bad with math or I'm too old. Those are like the three greatest hits usually. And you don't need a lot of money to start. You just need the most time possible. And are you too old? I don't know. Like You're never as young as you are today. So today is the best day ever to start because you'll never be younger than you are right this moment. And so, yeah, like a numbers math person, I started as a poetry major, Kyle. Like I started as a poetry major. (laughs) I didn't know anything about math. Like I, the basics, right, that you need to get your financial life in order, you don't need a graphing calculator. You just need like basic, a fifth grader can do the math. It's the humanities part. It's not the math part that actually is the thing that trips you up the most. It's the relationships that are the hardest to navigate. It's not like the physical, like, can you put this into, you know, a budget or can you like, you don't need to also calculate a lot of this stuff. I went through the CFP program and like needed to actually calculate manually all of this interest and all of the taxation and blah, blah, blah. You just put it in the calculator. You don't need to calculate bond yields and stuff like that. Like it just shows you on your brokerage app. And so it's not that stuff that trips people up. Really, if you like peel back the onion and get to the heart of it, it's how to talk to your friend about paying you back or how to talk to your significant other about a prenup or a postnup or a will or a trust or stuff like that. It's the interpersonal workings of money that's the hardest part. It's not the math or the numbers. So let's transition now to index funds. So I want to introduce this part because you had a really good story in your book that you discussed about Tiffany's, which I absolutely loved. So just a little backstory before you tell it in more detail. So you were bullied a little bit as a kid. And then you basically discussed how you got an email from your bully and then you were going to go to Tiffany's anyways. Yeah. So can you let me know a little bit more about that story again for my audience and then also discuss how you've used that story as kind of a mental model to improve your thinking about money? I grew up not having money and the girl, the popular girls like had all sorts of stuff that I didn't. And I'll never forget this like chunky Tiffany bracelet with like the dangling little heart on the bottom of it. And to me, that was like, oh my gosh, I could never buy something like that. That's amazing. And when I was bullied by these girls growing up, they would make fun of like, my fake Doc Martens. This is when I was growing up. Doc Martens were cool. They called them Nurse Martens <laughs> because they like didn't have the little thing. All this stuff that you know happens when you're coming of age, and you remember all of this stuff so much more because you're feeling these things for the first time. And so, like, I don't know what I ate for breakfast or like <laughs> what I did last night, but I remember these girls' names. I remember all of these moments so so vividly, and so. I graduated, of course, went to college, quickly started working in broadcast news, and then quickly worked up to the network level. And I was anchoring on CNBC and doing reports on the Today Show and all all of this sort of like high profile stuff where people would watch it. Like I always am amazed when people watched stuff on TV because like you don't really see all those folks. You just see like a camera. And so I got a note one day from her, this bully, and like my heart sank, you know. And at this point, I was, you know, I'd done some therapy. I was a grown ass woman. I was talking to CEOs and politicians. Like I wasn't intimidated by anyone at that point. Like I had grown and like really found comfort in my skin. And I see this email from her. 
And I am like, oh my God, I am transported back to being like this teenage girl who is so scared by whatever this note is going to say. And she said something like, hey, congrats. Can you help me with my career or something like that? Like, it's so great to see you do well. And I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) You're like, do you know all these terrible things you did to me and said to me and, you know, whatever. And so it was a catalyst at that moment to like do right by my former self. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Like, I am going to go get that freaking bracelet once and for all. Like, I can buy all the bracelets. I could buy like probably like the whole counter at, well, definitely not like any counter at Tiffany, but like the sterling silver counter I could handle. And so I went over, I was in New York, I went over to Tiffany and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to feel vindicated. I'm going to feel like I made it or something or like I'm laughing last. Like I got this stupid Tiffany bracelet. And I went there and I was like, you know what? I could get like all the Tiffany bracelets on my hand. And I was like, you know what? Instead, (laughs) I left and I bought Tiffany stock instead. And now with that Tiffany stock, I mean, it wasn't very much, but you know, it appreciated so much more than I have worn that bracelet much like after that year of vindication and like it would have collected dust somewhere. And I felt much more vindicated because that was like a moment where I could say not only do I feel empowered by what I've been able to accomplish? But I also now have the acumen and the wherewithal to make a really, really smart decision that's going to pay dividends later on, literally. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A dot Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I love that story. It's funny when you understand how powerful compounding is too. It's like everything's an opportunity cost. It's like, yeah, you could have spent a couple hundred bucks on this bracelet or, you know, you could put a couple hundred bucks in the market and it's probably going to do a lot better than, than a bracelet would. Totally. And by the way, like I'm not saying don't buy the bracelet because also get the bracelet. Like I have a lot of bracelets as well. But yes, when you think about like buying an iPhone or something and how much like Apple stock, I wish I would have bought a ton of Apple stock when I was starting to report on technology. Oh my God. I remember reporting when Gmail first came out, when the iPod came out, like it was nothing. I didn't know. I wish I could go back. Like that's why I try to do this to help others just like in that moment. If I bought some Apple stock, I mean, I would still be talking to you because like at this point, I don't do it for the money. But yeah, it still hurts. So I know that during the pandemic, you got your Twitter X DMs flooded with people asking if they should buy XYZ stock. And from your responses that I, I researched, it seemed like most of them were the same. It was forget stocks and go with index funds and chill. So can you expand a little bit on the system for the audience? Yeah, index funds and chill. Netflix and chill is also cool too. The DM slips, the not so fun and sexy kinds that I get were like, should I get Zoom or should I buy NVIDIA or whatever? And this was, you know, mostly from people who were buying into the market or starting to invest for the very first time. And I understand why you would want to say that because the impetus is to get rich quick. Like, what can I buy really quickly that's going to make me a bunch of money? And I don't like fun, sexy times with my money. I like boring, boring, slow and steady times. Like, I don't want to gamify it. I don't want to do some crazy crypto thing. Like, I don't want to do anything wild. I just want it to stay growing nicely, safely. And that's what I suggest to first-time investors to instead of looking for like the hot stock that they're going to put their money in, you know, look at an index fund, which is a basket of a bunch of different stocks. It follows an index. So an index, I'm, I'm sure your listeners know, is you know, something that tracks a bunch of different assets. So like the S&P 500 is an index. The NASDAQ is an index. Indexes or indices, the jury's out on that one. But there are a lot of different indices, right? Indexes. And when you buy into the S&P 500 index fund, an S&P 500 index fund, there are a lot. There are a lot of different tickers. By the way, this is another question I get because like, then people will say, okay, well, I searched index fund and the, you know, my Schwab portal or whatever. You need an actual ticker symbol to buy into an index fund. And index funds can be like mutual funds or ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds which you can buy and sell like stocks. But you're getting a diversified exposure to the stock market just by buying one thing. And what's cool is that over time, the market... And when people say the market, they mean the S&P 500 as like a broad barometer of the market has beaten, you know, what fund managers say they can do to like beat the market time and time again. A majority of fund managers do not beat the market. So like why then try to beat it? Just join it. Just buy it. And so that's what I often said. It's like what Warren Buffett 
put in his own will for his own wife to do with their money, like put a majority of it in low cost S&P 500 Vanguard, like you can buy Vanguard, you can buy other stuff, index funds. So that's where my like mug of some of our swag says index funds and chill. Excellent description. So one of the biggest problems that investors have, whether that's stocks, indexes, crypto, et cetera, is that they panic when prices drop and they end up selling. So what advice would you give to those who have had bad experiences in the stock market before, but maybe want to start trying again, getting some money in there? Yeah, I would say dollar cost average, which is just fancy terminology for putting like little bits of money in at regular intervals so that you are safeguarding yourself from the fluctuations of the market. So this adage on Wall Street, one of the few truisms, buy low, sell high. Another one is like, it's better to be low expectations. Great. We don't know when the low is. We don't know when the high is. That's the problem. And so when you, let's say, have 1200 bucks. And you want to go try to put your money in the market. Instead of putting 1200 bucks in the market today, we don't know where the low is. We don't know where the high is. Like If it's at a low, we'd be stoked that we bought today. Like If we could zoom out to a chart, if it was at the high, we'd be like pretty annoyed. Instead, you take that 1200 bucks and put 100 bucks in the market every month for the next year. And over time, you're going to get the average of what the price would be over that period of time. So like this dollar cost average idea is basically just you have some money, put it in at different periods of time. And overall, you'll like make up for the ups and downs of the market. Love it. So my dad is one of the most risk averse people I know. He has all of his savings in bonds instead of indexes because he doesn't like seeing his portfolio drop at all. So I'm always trying to get him to get some exposure to the stock market as bonds, you know, it barely beats inflation. But what advice would you give to those who think indexes are too volatile to invest in? Well, bonds are rocking right now. Like bonds and CDs are doing okay right now. So your dad, well, I understand that he's done it for a long time. So he probably didn't make a lot of interest. But look, like there are bad years for the market for sure. And the the point of being invested into the market via index funds, for instance, is to have growth over time. Like the optimal part of that sentence is over time. It's not a quick thing. It's not I'll put my money in and oh you're you're saying it's gonna make seven to ten percent in the market. Like cool. So like does that mean 10% next month? I'm just gonna get it out. Sweet. Like I get this great return. No, no, it's over time. And so like inflation adjusted, you're probably looking at about seven percent over time. Like you have to really put your blinders on for this. And If you have that time, like if you have that uh, long time horizon, then the market is has historically like I like to look at big swaths of data has historically returned that great percentage over time. And so that's what I would say to anyone who's trepidatious about going in the market. If you feel like you're going to check your brokerage every single day, then I don't know, maybe like your mental health is valuable and and maybe you want to take some baby steps. Like in my last book, I went from lowest risk to highest risk. So like sort of putting your toe in the investing water with, you know, money market accounts, money market funds, CDs, bonds, you know, treasuries, whatever, and then getting into more risky assets. So like the higher the risk, the higher the reward too. And then you get to really cuckoo stuff like currencies and commodities and crypto and and VC investing, which is really, really, really risky. 
And you shouldn't, if you have a little bit of money to play with, like that's not the place to start first. Yeah. And then, so in terms of, let's say for people who maybe are a little bit older, like my father, who's getting getting into his seventies now, would you do the traditional stock bond mix where you have that, you know, the same percentage of your age and bonds and the rest in stocks kind of thing? Or do you, do you know, do you not subscribe to that theory? I think it really depends. I think that the rule that you're talking about is putting like if he's 70, then putting your age in bonds. So like 70% in bonds because he's older. And so like historically, that's been risky. It's really hard to come up with a hard and fast rule around this stuff, especially without like seeing a, a bigger picture because maybe something else might be more advantageous. But if you're just starting out, that's like a really good rule, easy rule of thumb to start with a portfolio. And then, well, bam, you have a portfolio. So like, I'm nearly 40, which is crazy. So like, for easy math, right? So 40% in bonds, 60% in equities or stocks. And then all of a sudden, I have like a portfolio with different things that like at the end of my, you know, next year on this planet, I rebalance it. And I look at see like how much are in each. And then I say, okay, well, there's like now after a year has gone on, there's a little bit more in bonds. And so it's like trimming the hedges, you just like sort of pruning and then and getting back to, you know, something that is a good benchmark for you to build from. That's all it is. Yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of our listeners are maybe not necessarily beginner investors and do own some individual stocks in their portfolios. How would you suggest people optimize their mix of index funds and stocks if they want to go with having individual stocks? You know, that's a case by case preference, really. You know, like I have individual stocks and I have index funds and I have a bunch of different kinds of index funds. And I would say before getting into a new sector, like look at a fund for that first. So You know, if you're like, I'm really hot to trot on technology right now, like look at QQQ instead, which is the fund that tracks the NASDAQ. Or if you're like, damn, I'm really excited about some semiconductor company or something or like mining or, you know, I want international exposure. I just feel like there's a fund for everything. And sure, like you want to buy some Berkshire stock, go for it. If you feel like that's going to just be a sure thing forever and ever in the end or whatever else, like I would just keep it to, you know, a reasonable amount of what you have invested in equities. And reasonable is not for me to decide Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. 
You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. Yeah. So let's hop in and talk a little bit about the role of AI in finance. So on a recent episode of your podcast, Money Rehab, you discuss the use of AI in finance in a little more detail. I'm interested in knowing more about how AI can offer high-level investing advice that normally would have only been available to high net worth individuals. Yeah, what's cool about AI is that it helps you with these very human whims that we have, you know, so buy low, sell high. That's something that we know as a truism on Wall Street. But like right when the market starts crashing, you're like, oh my God, get me out of here. This is bananas. Like it's going to tank. It's it's like going to zero. And you know, historically, like that's not happened. We've never not recovered from a single recession or depression in US history. And it probably... You know, if treasuries collapse, like we have worse problems than getting our money out of the market, right? That's like zombie apocalypse vibes. So intellectually, we know the right moves to make, but we're only human. And so I still, I know all the rules. I talk with people about the rules, you know, and the market's up. I'm like, okay, like, let me double down on this for a second. Like, this is a hot market. Let me just like, Bet the farm, like, let's get some more return right now and just like ride this momentum and ride this wave. That's a terrible thing to do, right? Because you're buying stuff that's at a premium instead of buying on sale. But like buying on sale, you know, you should get a deal. But like, there's so much emotion tied up into our money. And so I love AI from an investing standpoint, because it really takes that emotion out of it. Like we're only human. And so sometimes to optimize our investing and our portfolio and our overall financial life, we need something that's more than human, which is AI. And like AI is not a scary robot. You know, if you have used predictive text, you've used AI. Like if you've used Google Voice or Siri or Alexa, like that's AI. We've been using AI for a long time. And so if you're thinking some robot is like going to come into your banking portal or your brokerage, that's just not the case. It's a tool that can help you get better with riding through a lot of emotional ups and downs of the stock market. So what are some real life use cases for using AI that would help you kind of ride the ups and downs of the market? Just interested in knowing what those would be. 
Yeah. So we just launched Money Assistant, which is crazy. It's the first of its kind podcast that's hosted by me, Nicole Lepin, and my AI counterpart with the company called Magnify. And so it's Magnify's AI-powered investing assistant. And so this collaboration, it is a way for listeners to engage with personal finance, but offering a human expertise blend and an AI blend. And so when you have questions about what to do with your budget or what to do with your own retirement, this is a way for the combination of human intelligence and artificial intelligence to come together to create and demystify a lot of these financial matters. And so I think that using AI within your own investing like is just the beginning. You can really do it as an investing tool in all aspects of your financial life. And so that means just investing in yourself ultimately, which we know pays most dividends later on. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, especially in during market downturns when most investors are like, sell, 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 I want to get out. Then, you know, if if they had a AI robot who's dove through hundreds of years of research, they can be like, you know, maybe that's not a good idea to do that right now. Should probably go be going in the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, so Magnify, what I like about Magnify, it's the first regulated AI investing assistant. It's the first SEC regulated AI that helps you invest. And so we're all about making sure that everything here is, you know, regulated and on point, but it really helps you plan, monitor and adjust what you're doing with your money so that you're not driven by daily emotions from market swings. And it's so easy to do that. Like it helps you focus on how to beat inflation or save for your goals rather than like, getting preoccupied with the latest meme stock, right? Because we're all about shiny objects, especially on social media. And so it's easy to like lose track of what your goals are. And so I think what this does is a tool like anything else. It just makes sure that you're on track and that you're on a realistic plan to get you to your goals. So not only do you have a plan, you understand it and you follow it because that's the biggest part, right? Like it's one thing to say like you're going to make a plan. It's like information is power, but the real power lies in action, not just having the information, but doing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So with that AI, how deep does it go in and how much individual advice can it dispense to, to users? A ton of individual advice. I mean, what I look at it as, it's like really your first advisor that's not going to judge you at all. Even when I've met with financial advisors, it's still intimidating. And so this takes all of it out of that process. And so what I like about Magnify, it's this investing tool, the first one that really doesn't make you feel intimidated, helps you learn in the process, but also like really tailor makes what the plan is for you and only you. It makes up for all of the stuff that we didn't learn in school. It makes the fact that they didn't teach you investing in school, no big deal. Like every step along the way from whether you're putting together a plan to you know, buy your first house to try to like pull up the returns for different funds. Like you can get that intense. Like you can go and you can search for research on different sectors. Like we talked about investing in funds. You can sort by return. You can sort by price. You can sort by all sorts of other metrics and data. And so I think it helps you at every step. 
And even if you don't know, like even what a fund is, then you start at the basics, but it grows with you as your personal situation develops and changes. And as we know, Kyle, that's the only constant in life, that beautiful change. Absolutely. Part of what I find fascinating about AI is its ability to drastically increase efficiency and decrease costs across, honestly, like every industry, it looks like. So how are you seeing that AI is being utilized by index funds and the financial industry in general? And do you think that will benefit the consumer or will most of the value end up going to corporations? You know, I think that everybody will win if it's adopted more on a personal level. Our mission in each of our money assistant episodes are to sit down with people that are faced with real life financial challenges and help them strategize for financial milestones. Our goal is to give these tools and these resources that have traditionally been available only to the wealthy to hopefully democratize those for everybody else. Now, if that means that that person who never imagined they would have bought a fund or a stock or whatever buys one, sure, does that company make money too? Absolutely. But then, you know, that individual also is investing in themselves and their own portfolio and will make money. So I think like as soon as you empower people on an individual level to make money, like I'm not even mad about the fact that corporations, banks, brokerages are also making money because then that floats all boats. Absolutely. And are you aware, like, so let's say you're an index fund and, you know, you start using AI to help put together your index and put it in whatever, whatever order and concentrations you need. Are they going to be able to leverage the fact that they can do that to help reduce fees even more? Like, is that a possibility? Are they kind of fixed with their, their fee structure that they have now? That might be above my pay grade for how index funds are priced, but we've already seen costs come down across the board. So I think the more people, that's just basic economics, right? The more people that are going to be invested, the more costs have to come down. It's interesting because with the whole robo-advisor thing, it makes a lot of sense because like you said, you can go in and now you can talk to an AI, but you know, the robo-advisors is kind of similar. At least you're talking to like a computer or a computer program rather than a human who can judge you and, you know, maybe the, and hopefully they'll be able to give you just more pinpointed advice because it seemed like before I knew anything about finance, I remember going into a bank and asking them and, you know, they're just asking just such generalized questions like how much risk do you want to take and stuff like that. And it's like, I didn't even know what that meant at that point. So hopefully the use of AI, they can kind of try to drive down more into your risk profile and, you know, your goals to help optimize it even better than, you know, technically a human maybe could. Yeah, I think what's cool about AI and using the tool that we highlight in our show, Magnify, is that you can compare similar options. Like you can ask for performance of different categories. You can understand some of the search results. So like common things that you would ask your money assistant, which is so cool. Who doesn't want a money assistant? Are things like compare the top five bond funds for return yield fees, right? Or like analyze the top three results or compare similar funds to SPY or VOO. And what that does is it uses this artificial intelligence, but it puts you in the driver's seat. So I do know that 80% of investors believe personalized guidance will lead to better outcomes. And 84% of Americans are actually positive or neutral on using AI and getting help from AI in general. So I think that the things that we're really going to see increase are the ability to analyze data and trends, conduct 
faster research on different investments or strategies and stay on track for your goals. So I think that people who are using this tool to then ultimately pull the trigger is a sweet spot where you're like, I do have control, but I also have this assistance. I do have a little bit of help from my AI friend. Interesting. And so with that AI that you're talking about, is it integrated with a brokerage account? So you can like, can you technically ask it to execute something for you? Yeah, totally. You can link all of your brokerage accounts together too. And I think that that's just going to allow for efficiency and ease when it comes to planning out what your investment strategy is, you know, at the end of 2022, more people planned on investing independently than any other way. So versus a robo advisor versus an advisor or versus not planning to invest at all. So I think that this allows you to be independent and feel like you are taking control of your money, which I think is really, really important. You don't want to just like completely set it and forget it. Although there are elements of setting it, getting it that are quite powerful. But you do want to know, you know, what's going on or like you want to do the responsible thing. One out of four people want to invest because they believe it's the quote unquote responsible thing to do. And it is. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen that through our experience, our individual and personal upbringings, how much we wish we would have invested earlier. I had some marketing campaign at some point that said, I'm glad I didn't invest earlier, said no one ever. No one has ever been like, yeah, you know what? I'm so I'm stoked that I didn't put my money in the market earlier. If you find a person that said that, please let me know. But I think that when you balance some of these macro trends, then the answer to me seems clear. Like we're only going to see more of this type of investing behavior continue. We haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't tapped like what we could be using this for ultimately. And I think that is to empower each person to make their own better financial decisions. Yeah, totally. And it makes sense. Also, like you talked a little bit about the macroeconomic backdrop and the use of AI. And like you said, hasn't even not even really touched in the surface of how valuable that eventually will be. But do you see a world eventually where the AI would like, let's say we go back to COVID where bond yields were, you know, it, it was nothing, right? So do you see a world where AI would, would look at those, be like, okay, well, bond yields are at, you know, zero. <laughs> let's minimize our exposure to bonds and maximize the stocks. And then vice versa now where bond rates are, have gone up and changing your exposure and making those suggestions to you rather than, you know, you having to follow every little nuance that's happening in the market. Yeah. And that's such a powerful tool, right? And in recent years, we've heard horror stories of self-directed investors finding themselves in bad positions due to investing behaviors that are akin to uninformed gambling and like blind following and all this GameStop madness. You know, in part, we think that that's because there's just not enough access available to the intelligence needed to do more responsible, diversified, long-minded investing. So you're not going to have a prompt come back that's like, hey, check out GameStop, like it's killing it. But instead, understanding, you know, what bond yields are doing is an important data set that like, you know, we're all busy and we can't be up on every up and down and like bond yields and interest rates and everything else that are like germane to creating a portfolio that makes sense for you. But what I think the great part, you know, about AI is just how adaptive it is. It can handle these basic questions and guidance for less than 
complex experienced investors, you know, like how do I start with a portfolio or how do I plan for retirement, but can also dive into more complex portfolio analysis and even break down these macroeconomic topics like inflation, which honestly, like at every step, I think people are embarrassed to ask an actual human. Agreed. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we close out the episode, where can the audience connect with you, learn more about your podcast and your most recent book? You can find Money Rehab, which is my daily finance show, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Or you can check out more on our new AI show, Money Assistant at moneyassistant.com. Excellent. Okay, folks, that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you back here very soon. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.